This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 11, First Round Strategies, Extra Kingdom. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hello and welcome to our wonderful little podcast we have for you. We have a really fun episode today. This is something that people who have been listening to us since the beginning, uh, we've been teasing this idea for a while, but we've continually not felt comfortable doing it. Right. And we keep disappointing fans because they really want our first round strategy. I won't call it a guide. I'll call it a discussion. Yeah. Our first round strategy discussions. Um, and we want to kick that off today. We're going to talk about the X-Chaw Kingdom, mm-hmm. the Peace Turtles, from whom we take our namesake. Yes, yes. Um, and we want to dig into what you should be thinking about when you draw the X-Chaw Kingdom. What are the first things on your mind? What are the actions you take during your first round? Potentially leading a little bit into your second round. And then from there, how do you look at the rest of the game? You can't ever say anything definitively about mid to late game. But we can say, what are your what, what are you hoping to look like? Right. Yeah, as this episode goes on, you'll notice we start painting with a with a wider brush. Yeah. Um, and that's because as this the way we're going to do this is we're going to start more concrete. There's going to be a little bit of overview of each race again. We're going to talk about yeah. all of their abilities again, which we have already covered in the podcast, but this is from a different context now. Yeah. Now we're talking about it as people have played the game. And as the episode goes on, we are going to get more and more theoretical. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll start pretty concretely, and we'll work our way into completely made-up territory. And just ideas. And just ideas. So, yeah, enjoy. Here we go. This is the start of a pretty huge arc of the podcast that we will be doing for a a very long time. I don't know how everything will play out, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to say, currently, Extra are 100% in my top five. Whoa. Just favorite races. Maybe not best. I won't say best. But I will say favorite to play. Yeah. Extra are way up there for They're me. They're cool. They're, they have been... I think everything that is good about them are things that were at, were good about them in TI3. But now it's all been fine-tuned. Now it's all valid. Ooh, yeah. It's all very valid. <laughs> the entire the entire game has shifted around that strategy and been like, you, could, you should do this. This yeah. is a good idea. Yeah. This is not a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they... Boy, howdy. Um... I just got done playing a game, literally less than a less than an hour ago. Actually, exactly one hour ago, we finished a game that I was playing, and extra weren't in it. But something that um, was in it was a couple players playing pretty actively with PDSs, and it was once again very effective. And it was really interesting to see PDS be very effective in a non-extra player's hands, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of just further solidified in my mind. That like the extra strategy can do very very well. Yeah. The the just idea of get your pie slice with heavy defenses mm-hmm. and don't let anyone ever take any ground from you. Yeah. Well, Matt, what kind of race? What what? Tell me, tell me, Matt. What 
What kind of race is uh, the extra? Thematically or strategically? Let's start thematically. Thematically, we'll the extra kingdom are a race of peaceful turtles who, in the history of Ninja the galaxy, or... no, no, they're no. adult sexy really? turtles. Oh, are they yeah. sexy? Yeah. I'm not seeing the sexiness in that whatsoever. Well, Although I did watch those videos on YouTube earlier of the turtle having sex with a shoe. I don't know if you've ever seen that. How should someone play as the extra? What is the style? You should be a peacemaker. Yeah? And you should, um, I think more than anything, you should play with a diplomatic approach, meaning um, try to be everybody's buddy. I mean, that's kind of a general strategy that I think works for a lot of people. There are certain races you can't do that with, obviously. Mm -hmm. Necrovirus is not anybody's buddy. Right. But the extra has this opportunity to take actions that don't look aggressive or can be painted as non-aggressive mm -hmm. and can do favors for people yeah the, the the fact that you have this ability quash where you can cancel a political agenda i think more often than not that serves you no purpose but yeah. the fact that you have yeah. it at your disposal is always something that might be worth it to somebody the odds that an agenda is going to come out that like if you're playing a game of twilight imperium i would say the odds are actually kind of low that an agenda is going to come out that can just wreck your specific shop right but the odds that an agenda is going to come out that can wreck someone's shop at some point in the game, that's pretty high. Yeah. It's going to happen to somebody. Yeah, and and the extra can step in, and they can do it. If you if you frame it right, you can do it in a pretty non-aggressive way of just like, hey, hey, buddy, do you, do you need this political? I don't think it is ever in extra's favor to do anything in a threatening manner. Yeah. You don't have really the, the wherewithal to do that, except for... One exception, but we'll come back around. To yeah, that. we will. Um, so, I mean, stylistically, maybe you wanna you wanna be I don't know a solid. Uh, you want a solid slice. Yes. You want you, you need want to protect kind of your own private corner of absolutely the map. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna play especially crazy. You're not gonna like lash out at objectives and leave yourself too thin. Instead, you're gonna take that kind of slow approach and mm -hmm. like build this pie slice that constantly grows and acquires objectives through the through the long run and like is set up in an end game scenario where it's not an option that people can target you like mm -hmm. if if you know oh we're we're both tied for 7 and we both have an opportunity to take a win well we can't stop extra mm -hmm. is is how i should how i see the debate usually going right almost like that moment in a late ti game where it's like well we really need to strike into so and so's pie slice because they're ahead or they're doing this extra should if you're playing them correctly that should be the most difficult conversation yes. that, that would be yeah. had yeah basically. if you want to stop an extra player you need to do it earlier and you need to prevent them from taking planets that they can then throw a bunch of pds on like you 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 gotta corner them as much as you can they're gonna play a little bit turtly and you gotta make what they have access to a little bit smaller yeah. keep the pressure on them what do you feel like makes the extra a soup like a super powerful race um the things that you're gonna be able to utilize to be a superpower with the extra is if you focus on pds upgrades mm-hmm and uh you've already got what you start you start with. with the best one yeah the most important one get a couple of, get deep space cannon get your flagship that's like super 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 important mm -hmm. and set up a network that makes sense 
so that you are unstoppable, and that's what makes you a superpower. Mm-hmm. Is not you're not the same as other fleets where you're gonna steamroll people with this big fleet. You're gonna have an untakeable pie slice, and you're gonna have a fleet surrounding your flagship that that can like pincer through people. Okay, let's uh, let's start. Let's kind of we should do at least an overview of their abilities. Yeah. Uh, just so anyone that might be jumping in just specifically to this episode knows exactly what they're talking about. So let's start with the flagship, just because it seems to be so important yes. uh, to their overall strategy. Um, the extra flagship, which is called the Lancara Sisodu, and I am pronouncing that correctly, um, its ability <laughs> is that you may use this unit's space cannon against ships that are in adjacent systems. And it has sustained damage. It has three space cannons that hit on a five. Which is very good. Better than a normal PDS. Mm-hmm. One better than a normal PDS. Its combat is uh, hits two on a seven. Uh, move one, capacity three. Two I on think... a seven's not bad. That's about average. Yeah. So it hits fine. average, and then it has this amazing pre-fire mm-hmm. ability. It hits good enough to where it's definitely more than worth the fleet supply. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The big thing with the flagship is if you're rolling good enough, which you usually will be... Uh, You've done the damage before the round of combat has even started. Mm-hmm. Those three space cannons, two of those should hit every time. Right. Statistically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're talking whatever, but but like you, you're going to get hits with that space cannon ability. And if you're coupling that with a good PDS network, if you've set up good borders and you're just taking one thing kind of on the, on the edge of your border, you're going to completely wipe someone's fleet out. Mm-hmm. Anyone who tries to butter up next to you, you can completely eliminate their stuff if you position things correctly right and 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 the flagship is absolutely crucial in that strategy it's a very cornerstone flagship is also then important to note that you need to protect that flagship or Mm -hmm. you need to always have the resources to rebuild that flagship if you're going to get risky with it right but like i would say the x chaws strategy relies on using that flagship in a good way and using it in conjunction with a pds network yes. that is spaced out in a way that is super logical makes sense as well let's talk about graviton laser systems is yeah. that the only extra starting test yes, right start yeah. with just the one yellow but mm-hmm. it's if you're going to start with a yellow, that's certainly the one to start with. I mean, cool. Starbeam Tools is a great starting tech obviously and you're probably going to get it anyway yeah but. but these guys benefit so much from graviton laser systems mm-hmm Graviton Later Systems, you may exhaust this card before one or more of your units use Space Cannon. Hits produced by those units must be assigned to non-fighter ships if able. And that, turns out, is a big old big, big, big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, If you launch a surprise attack on someone who thought you were peaceful with them and they left a fairly undefended fleet, I mean, you can wipe some stuff out. If, If you have... Plasma scoring, the the red tech that gives you an additional die when you roll space cannons. level zero red tech. Level zero, base level red tech. If you have that, your flagship now rolls four dice on a five before any combat. You have a 60% chance to get a hit before anything else has even happened. Mm -hmm. Four times. I mean, that's just absolutely bonkers. And all of those getting applied to non-fighter ships. So anyone with a fighter screen is just completely out, out of... Out of but it options. does it does require you are, you are going to need to think about um, your placement as far as PDS goes um, 
and making sure that that network is is spaced out correctly. And I think that's kind of the that's the thing that is important to remember yeah. with this. Let's talk about their starting units. What's their starting fleet, and how does that help them in this uh, kind of launching off their empire? Uh, they're a one carrier starting race, which, um, as a lot of people have noted, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, two carriers is what you need, or two units that can carry things. So right. sometimes it's a dreadnought uh, or whatever. Um, so they've only got the one carrier start. They've got two cruisers, three fighters, four infantry, which helps That's having good. starting with the four. Uh, one space dock, one PDS. Starting with the one PDS is fun because at least you've got that in your but back you pocket. You can't move PDS. You can't move PDS, but from the beginning of the game, and this is something I noticed when playing x from the beginning of the game, having Graviton laser systems and having the PDS in my home system I never needed to worry about, I am not that worried about leaving my home system a little bit undefended early. Right. I'm not afraid of someone coming and pulling some weird you know slash maneuver where they mm-hmm. just like take my home system because i left it too undefended like that pds helps a lot right right it makes you feel actually secure um but what does extra need to do well if you're going by our baseline you need two carriers and four infantry so you need to find an opportunity to build another carrier without activating a system mm-hmm. um or if you can't do that make your one carrier move twice with warfare and make sure you get that second carrier on the board before the end of the first round mm-hmm. so that you can utilize it next round. So the x start with a two-planet home system, which uh, Hunter and I both kind of agree is is better than one planet, certainly. Yeah. Uh, one planet home systems are, are a little bit harder to start with. The reason for this is just you can do more shenanigans later on with putting extra space stocks on the system so that you drastically increase your production capacity. You can kind of pump out bigger fleets. Um, it's this- harder to build multiple fleets than it is to pump big fleets out of one system right um yeah so basically uh with the extra since you do start with a two planet home system you have the option of using that as a production center should you choose to right now because of their because they're so pds lenient you could you could very easily pick another two planet system anywhere and just decide like this is it you're not coming in here basically um it's worth noting i mean you could you could pile on four pds in the system if you needed to and no one is gonna ever touch it i mean if you have a home system with four pds and your flagship in it you're rolling uh with plasma scoring you're rolling eight dice before combat yeah but and and if you were to ever actually do that though you're kind of wasting you're wasting your opportunity sure i guess all my point is i i see that as your um possible last ditch effort like if if you're Mm -hmm. starting to have a bad game you can always pull back and start placing pds in your home system and it's a good it's a good system to turtle on and if you're in a situation where you're just trying to clinch a victory Mm -hmm. um we're talking late game stuff but it's just something to, to think about you could be working towards throwing a couple extra PDS in your home system because if you have a strategy where you know you're going to swing big and then have to hold on at the end, you'll want to protect your home system. Uh, Your home system also starts with three resources and four influence, which is actually pretty good numbers. It's not the best as far as resources, but that extra Mm -hmm. influence certainly can be pretty beneficial for a lot of things. Um, Gives you good voting power early on, and three is not horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, it gets you that carrier you need. If mm-hmm. any, at the very least, you have enough to buy the carrier that you need to get first round. Yeah. Uh, on honestly, I would build. That would be more of a secondary off of warfare, especially if we're talking first round. I feel like more than likely. Yeah. 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 You need to get that carrier down quickly, and if if you yourself drew warfare, 
then build that carrier once you've gotten well let's all talk of your about that then what what do you feel like is a good first round strategy card pick for extra let's so, let's ignore so whenever we talk about this with any race um basically there is an answer that is effectively well whatever one leads me to a victory point in the first round right. but let's always just assume that's not possible right um yeah there are going to be opportunities to score victory points if you pick the right strategy card uh but in this instance um i mean honestly the easiest answer is you should just pick diplomacy so the old the old diplomacy is gone and and the new diplomacy is all wrapped up into just extra's ability so peace accords reads as such after you resolve the primary or secondary ability of the diplomacy strategy card you may gain control of one planet other than Mechatol Rex that does not contain any units and is in a system that is adjacent to a planet you control. The thing about diplomacy is almost no one is ever going to pick it round. First one. round, no. Just yeah. not going to happen. So you're going to have fair game at it no matter what, and you're going to get a huge benefit from it. You should take diplomacy because, mm -hmm. if anything, it basically operates the same as warfare will operate mm -hmm. for you. And you might as well let someone else take warfare so that you can use the secondary of warfare. Right. Yeah. Uh, I. In fact, now that we've talked it through this way, it almost sounds like you would do less with taking the primary of warfare. Absolutely. The most you can do is resolve peace accords on the first round with the extra, get a planet that way. You can only get one, but... It, the likelihood that you're going to have a system near you that has one planet in it, right? That, that happens one. a lot. Yeah, it's one yeah. planet. So you're, you're, you're going to get that. And then you're going to get another, hopefully, two-planet system with a carrier. You're going to build another carrier off of the secondary of warfare. Mm -hmm. Bam. That's three systems, round one. Done. Which is the goal. Yeah. You're probably not ever going to get to do yeah. more than that. And, and more importantly to me, as someone who's very interested in getting... Uh, trade lines established early more importantly what you should do is sure there's going to be those planets that are right adjacent to your home system that you might want to peacefully annex mm -hmm. but more importantly you should take your first carrier you should push it out to something going towards a neighbor and then the one you should peace accords is something adjacent to something your neighbor controls because right. as long as you control that planet now you have a trade line opened up and first round if there's no Hakan player in the game, there are very, very few opportunities for trade lines, depending on how everyone mm -hmm. expands. And my favorite thing, and I did this my first game with Extra, and it, I think it worked pretty well, is you take the planet, you're very open with, which planet would you want me to take? Because all I want to do is establish a trade line with this planet. So to you, honestly, it is worth it to take a planet that maybe isn't that high of a production value, First, to just not be threatening to your neighbor, because again, we're extra, we're playing diplomatically, we're on everybody's side. So you take that 1-1 one, one planet, or that 2-0 planet that's nearby the neighbor, and say, this is me stretching out my hand and saying, trade with me, I just need this planet so that I can trade with you, right. let's, let's turn our trade goods into something good. You start with four commodities, not start with, but you have four commodities that you'll be able to refresh. That's a lot, and so people are going to want to take you up on that offer. Right. You have basically the maximum save for what Hakan can pull off, so anyone is going to be willing to trade their maximum amount of commodities with you, and you might be their only option early around. Honestly, too, when the, it's funny that you bring up that move, because that kind of bring, brings up a whole other idea in my head. 
Um, when you did do that, you did eventually plop a PDS onto that planet. Mm -hmm. And it was an undefended PDS, but it was on a border. Yeah. And that's how you start getting out that network. Exactly. Um, you turn you turn your early game diplomacy into late game aggression. I will say this. I think the I think the absolute best extra opening round would be this. Someone else, and I think you should look out for this. If someone else takes diplomacy for some reason, won't happen. But let's say it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's say it, well, but there are weird things. There sure. are there are weird reasons that people might take it. Um, if for some reason this happens, you're going to resolve the secondary. So you should plan to do that, and you should probably take construction. I think construction yeah. is probably the number two pick for uh, the extra. It is weird to talk about them in this context because, like Matt said. You, you are going to get to pick Diplomacy yeah. round one. Yeah. You really are. But construction is important as well because getting if you're able to resolve peace accords and plop down two PDS on a planet as you your just, neighbor, yeah. that's an insane play. Yeah. That's like you're going to get so much out of that. And then if you can also plop down a PDS and a, a space, space dock and then build your flagship, yeah. all of a sudden you just like took... A lone planet on a border and made it like oh wow well no one can go there for yeah. now like yeah. at least Round into two. the mid game right you know extra flagship with at least even one pds that's safe territory until yeah. like round three absolutely yeah. yeah no no one has a big enough fleet to to do anything with that mm -hmm. um i mean that and also you the idea of you getting a pot shot into somebody else's pie slice early game like i mean extra is a defensive race but they can be aggressive with the pds yeah. network yeah and this is an interesting thought uh we're, we're trying to stay mostly on uh, round one discussions early but I, game but stuff. i will say for round two if you can set yourself up to have the eight resources that it's going to cost you to get that flagship which i think won't be hard because first off you're going to get you should be getting four. You should be getting four trade goods, like mm -hmm. because you're gonna be able to extend out. That's that's four free dollars that you're gonna have, mm -hmm. and then I mean you've got three more in your home system, so you really only need to come up with one more dollar for round two. You're probably gonna have more than that. So the idea is, I don't think it's a bad idea to get flagship round two, yeah, and have that ready to go mm -hmm. because, like Hunter said, early game is almost when it's the most potent because no one is gonna even try right if, if you position that thing in the right spot too like your pie slice just becomes unstoppable right mm -hmm. from the get-go and then then you can build around that right you can build the fleet while everyone else is building fleets you know the, the number one counter argument to building your flagship early is like well you can get some real fleets on the board but to me the flagship operates as a fleet on its own yeah because you're doing so much damage before anything else happens mm-hmm so, um, yeah, set yourself up to have the eight resources to buy that thing round two. Mm -hmm. Before we move on from, like, kind of generally talking about strategy cards, would you say there are any bad picks, especially bad picks? I would say now that we've kind of talked it through, I wouldn't have said this originally, um, I feel like picking Warfare is actually not a great round one pick for uh, yeah. X-Tra. It's very good for a lot of races, but the with all the, like, yeah. just basically the series of things we just talked about, the most efficient way outside of like picking warfare because you need to make some yeah. crazy run for like something specific right outside of that possibility it seems to me like building off of the secondary going for peace accords that is just a it's great better. opener yeah. Like, yeah i'd put the order as like diplomacy construction and then yeah i would put things like trade and tech over 
over warfare for warfare, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just with because with tech with tech you're going to get plasma scoring, and that's I think that's a crucial tech to get. You need mm-hmm. to the tech you need to focus on early is definitely plasma scoring, definitely Sarween tools, uh, some blue tech if you want the movement. I don't think the blue is very necessary for Xchal. You're more about digging in. What unit upgrades can they go for right off the bat? Obviously, you want PDS. This is why you want to go plasma scoring first, because you start with the yellow, you get your plasma scoring, you get deep space cannons. Right. Right off the bat. If you, you, for whatever reason, take technology, this is why technology is pick two or three for me. Mm -hmm. I, I I could withstand not getting construction around and get tech just so that I start round one with deep space cannon. I can't imagine there being an extra strategy that isn't go for deep space cannons or even isn't go for it first. Yeah. It's going to be the first upgrade you want to go for. I would say politics is not an especially great pick for them, which is funny because they're a political a very race. specific yeah. pick anyways. Yeah. And I think there are very few races that really could can get a lot yeah. out of it. I don't think you need the action cards. Mm-hmm. You definitely round one... You don't need to worry about what's going to be on the top of that agenda deck. You're going to be able to quash it later anyways if you if you need let's, to. Let's explain quash real quick because I don't think we ever actually read what it is. So quash is going to come up later. It won't really come up round one, but it might if someone if Win is in the game or something and, and Mechatol gets taken early. But uh, quash, when an agenda is revealed, you may spend one token from your strategy pool to discard that agenda and reveal one agenda from the top of the deck. Players vote on this agenda instead. So this is what we were talking about earlier with you can kind of, in most cases, it won't may not be beneficial for you, but you m- can probably get someone to pay you to quash something yeah. for them. And that's where the power of this comes And it's in. not, it's more than likely isn't really going to happen until the mid game. Yeah, because no one's going to even have the money to spare mm-hmm. early on. And no one's going to have, you're not even going to do agendas until round three most likely i mean mm-hmm. there, there have been a couple games now where i've taken mechatol rex on round two mm-hmm. uh it's not that weird and i think it's gonna stay pretty common but um probably by round three if someone hasn't taken mechatol rex that's a weird game is what mm-hmm. i would call it so yeah uh your, your ability to quash means you don't really need to mess with the political deck so I would say politics is a low pick. Imperial is obviously a low pick. Round one, no one. I can't think of a single race that should take Imperial except for Winu if mm-hmm. they can make it work. So we'll talk about that more later. Right. But Imperial politics, not big big picks that you need. I think we've kind of established a pretty like as far as tech goes, what you should be going for, what makes the most sense. You start with graviton, you go to plasma scoring, and then you get deep space cannons. Yeah. I feel like. I feel very confident in saying that that makes a lot of sense yeah. for extra early game. And from there, I would say just do whatever you really want. I don't think any... Like, the, the mage and defense grid is not especially crucial tech. You're not going to need to worry about that. So you don't necessarily need to go any deeper mm-hmm. into red. Um, what, a, what does their racial tech cost? And what, is it, what does that look like? So they're really good. They, they've got two racial techs. One of them is the one I wouldn't worry about going for, basically, unless you're having, like, a particular game. And it requires one green, and you may exhaust this card and spend one token from your strategy pool when another player plays an action card. Cancel that action card. So you get a sabotage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you're going to have strategy tokens available often enough mm-hmm. to make huge use out of this. Starting to dip into green doesn't seem especially beneficial. Now, obviously, the starting green tech is good, getting an extra action card, getting this, and then having two to be able to skip to hypermetabolism. That's not a bad plan. Right. But for hypermetabolism to really be worth it, you need to gun for that, which is why I don't really like any strategy that would not be getting you hypermetabolism before round three or four. Mm-hmm. So the other tech is the one we should worry about. 
Nullification Field says, after another player activates a system that contains one or more of your ships, you may exhaust this card and spend one token from your strategy pool to immediately end that player's turn. Holy cow. That's really good. And it only costs you two yellow, which you start with one. You're mm -hmm. going to want to get Sarween tools anyways. So your order is Plasma Scoring, Deep Space Cannon, Sarween tools, no. Nullification Field. That's all the tech... I think you need now. If you have spare money later on, yeah, keep getting good tech. Well, yeah, and we're and we are kind of dipping. We're past trying our, to stay yeah. kind of early, mid in these discussions. Obviously, this is kind of the pilot episode, but yeah. uh, but I like nullification field. The thing I also like about it is with two yellow, you can go for um, upgraded space stocks, and I actually feel like extra could be a race that would get use out of upgraded space stocks yeah. because. The idea of establishing a space dock on the edge of your pie slice with PDS that you're pumping out, like, for example, being able to rebuild your flagship if you push out with it right. and then lose it for some reason. Having that out in the center mm -hmm. is very good. Really, any race that doesn't get a lot of um, really fast-moving units or doesn't specialize in that kind of movement stuff, I kind of am starting to lean. And, I, and again, this... This is. I, I'm glad we're doing this race first, um, but I will say some of the some of these ideas that we're throwing out are kind of us experimenting as well. Um, but I'm starting to feel like, in general, if your race doesn't specialize in movement, and I would not say that the extra no, does, um, that it might be worth it to upgrade your space stocks yeah. because that way you can maintain one, maybe not have the the factory at home right. and have one on each yeah. edge. It's more basically. important to get your space stocks out there because you're not able to jump from your home system to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think nullification field helps that plan as well because you can further protect your space stocks and PDSs from if someone is coming at you with a big enough fleet, you can just say, well, this time it's canceled. Right. Next time I'll wipe you out with even more space cannon rolls, but for now you just don't even get to do anything. And, and remember, um, this is something that I think people overlook a lot when playing uh, any race, actually, that makes use of PDS. Um, you can activate your PDS mm -hmm. and fire them at an adjacent. Yeah, you weapon. activate the system you want to be attacking. You can't just activate the system your PDS is in, but yeah, you can activate any system and fire into it. Right, you don't have to send your unit. So that what that means is that if you if you have if you're sharing a border with the extra it can be really really difficult because the extra if they want to can literally just take pot shots yep. round after round and not even risk any of their yeah. units this was happening in a game i played today without it even being the extra player mm -hmm. they were players who had good pds networks and you know someone else had built a space stock too far out there so the other guy started to surround his planet with pds so that every time that guy thought about building it was like yeah you can build but i'm gonna fire five pds shots at you so mm -hmm. deal with that mm -hmm. and it was pretty disastrous um here's a question that i uh thought of just about an hour ago that i realized i think i would like to answer basically in every single one of these um, how do we feel about extra and Mechatol Rex? Is there uh, a lot of synergy there? Is there no synergy There's there? absolutely synergy there if you decide to heed the call. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that you can surround it with PDS and throw your um, flagship there means you're going to be able to defend Mechatol Rex like nobody else's business. I mean, right. if you decided to just like, here's an alternative play. Vers instead of establishing this really nice balanced pie slice... You leave enough stuff at your home system where no one can ever even think about taking it, mm -hmm. and then you set up new home system as Mechatol Rex. Right. You leave three PDS, maybe even four PDS on your home system, 
and then two on Mechatol Rex, and then put everything else you've got on Mechatol Rex, no one's going to take it from you. Right. And you, you know, you, you let the rest of your fleets get out and do the dirty work, but make it to where you can try to get Imperial as often as possible, get the points. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be able to piece Accords your way close to Mechatol Rex if you want to. That's the alternative strategy. If you don't want to go for trade lines, piece Accords yourself to be adjacent to Mechatol, and then the next round, start moving stuff over there. I Yeah, I, I think it could be an interesting play. The only... The, the thing that I'm seeing about the extra when it comes to early game is they start a little bit further away from all of the movement upgrade stuff. Yeah, they, which is why really I... Everybody. Yeah, definitely. And But I just... For me, I don't even feel like they need it. I know the game I we played, I didn't get by a single blue tech, and I never felt like it hindered me in any way. Right. I felt powerful the whole game without even needing to move around that much. And I think that is something that the reason you felt that way is because you got your PDS set up in a way that yeah. that felt it didn't feel like he was hindered by the fact that he was moving one at a time basically just one movement because his network went farther. You know what I mean? Like his the the amount of spaces that he was connected to via space cannon mm-hmm. was uh, that was a lot of the map. You know, here, here's another interesting thing nugget to to talk about when we discuss these starting round things. Um, what sort of pie slice do you want to pick as X shot? Now, this Ooh. discussion has a little bit of problems because we still kind of actually play with. Um, our like co-op method of designing the galaxy mm-hmm. um, but even if you're playing where you you know know where everyone's gonna sit you know what race they are and you're placing galaxy tiles based on that what kind of uh, pie slice do you want to build for Xcha and I would say Xcha wants to pick a pie slice that is more planet heavy I was just about to than resource heavy like yeah. if you if you can pick the barren but full of planets, high slice, you should do that over the, oh, I've got Barrig and Lerda 4 right next to me, but then I have empty space and an asteroid field and a supernova. You don't want that pie exactly. slice. You don't want any any space that a player is not going to activate pretty much ever, yeah. like that they're just going to avoid. You don't want that. You yeah. want your pie slice to have lots of different places yep. that you could be attacked at. Right. Because every time you get attacked, it's actually an opportunity to strike back at your opponent. Right. Yeah, you 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 are aggressive defensively. Yeah, and so you have to have a pie slice that can set yourself up in that way. Yeah, empty space is not your friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we do we want to touch on the promissory notes? We already talked about commodities a little bit. So extra has these four commodities. That's great. That's that's good bargaining power. And then you also have the political favor promissory note after an agenda is revealed remove one token from the extra player strategy pool and return it to his reinforcements then discard the revealed agenda and reveal one agenda from the top of the deck players vote on this agenda instead then return this card to the extra player so it really is effectively the exact same thing we're already describing where like oh you can you can tell people to pay you to quash things this just gives you an opportunity to do it out of sync you can during the game round say hey you're going to probably want to quash something later on so here's a political favor, and you can do that whenever you How many want. trade goods would you say it's worth? That's a hard question to ask right now. I feel like yeah. I, I'm still all over the place with how much I actually think these promissory notes are worth. If I were ranking this up against other promissory notes, yeah. this is definitely a lower tier promissory right, note. Right. It is not a very good promissory note. Whatever the baseline cost of a promissory note ends up being, this is not worth as much as that. Yeah. This is below the bar. 
honestly, I think I'd try and get three for it. That's what yeah. I would say. That would yeah. be the target. Try and get three. So ask for four. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it comes... I mean, it, promissory notes are a really weird game right now. I'm currently of an opinion that like you should really not be giving out any promissory notes early game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say X-Chosen is, is an exception to that rule. Yeah. I, I, I see no problem with x feeling like they can give this out kind of whenever they want as long as they're getting something decent for it. Yeah. Um, but you probably won't really get much for it, you know? Mainly because most people aren't just not going to care. They're yeah. not going to care to, to use it um, because they're not going to... The timing of when you would give this to someone is not going to sync up with them seeing the value of it. Right. They're not going to know they need to quash an agenda until the moment they need to quash an agenda. Yeah. And quash is kind of like that in general as a power. It's, yeah. It is a cool ability that you have but it doesn't well i mean first of all it is kind of obnoxious that it is a power that you don't really get to use until we get to a phase of the game that right. you know it that you don't always get to right away let's talk about command counters, counters. yeah oh, command counters yeah command counters in my game were not an issue i've had plenty of games where i haven't felt like command counters are an issue today i played my first game where i actually felt the weight of the new command counter economy i felt a little bit more starved out so i think the i'm starting to get the feeling that the balance of ti4 is there are more people who are starved of command counters but there are going to be one or two people in every game that are just like no i'm good got plenty no Mm -hmm. never a problem right um i would say xcha is one of those ones where because you're taking this more slow burn approach you don't have to do crazy moves as often which means you don't need to spend command counters very weird. I, I think you can hold on to command counters more often than not. Being have, Holding reserves of command counters, I think, is more beneficial to you than making a bunch of crazy moves every single round and trying to to like do all these weird things. Yeah, because if you're, if, if you're making a lot of like big plays like that, your PDS network probably isn't getting... Like, it needs to be set up very specifically. Maybe this is actually a good time to talk about specifically how to set up a PDS network because we kind of talked about everything else and yeah, yeah. now we should kind of get there. So, yeah, you're, you're going to be doing fairly normal activations around the board, which means you should be taking, you know, a decent number of plants per round. So you should have a good pie slice set up. And in our opinion, or in my opinion, to set up a good PDS network, I don't like putting... Honestly, I don't even like putting two PDS on a planet. Yeah. Because if you're going to get good use out of Deep Space Cannon, you want one PDS on every single planet you control. Right. Because then they're going to couple together a lot better. There's going to be there's going to be systems where five PDS are targeting it because it's you know it, they surround it in right. just the right way. Right. Whereas if you consolidate too many in one system, you're leaving a bunch of systems undefended. Mm-hmm. And I would rather have... A chance where, ooh, you're on the outskirts of my PDS network, so I'm only going to get to fire two shots at you. But the second you try to get any closer, it becomes exponentially more dangerous for you. Right. And I think, in general, a good rule of thumb is that this network happens at the tip of your pie slice. Does that make sense? It's not something that you're doing on one side unless you're trying to be aggressive to just one neighbor in particular. But a, a PDS network set up, like we're talking the ring around yeah. Mechatol, or maybe even the ring around that. At that tip, if it's literally the shape of a pie, yeah. at that tip, if you've kind of set them up on different planets on that side, you can, in the center, near Mechatol, get uh, such a solid hit of like yep. five or so. Um, and then even on the edges, still get 
like something. Right. You want them to all to overlap, right. especially uh, in the center or wh- wherever you feel like is most vulnerable. But you also want to be able to take those little shots with one or two yeah. on the side as well. I would say unless you see a situation where people are going to start coming after your home system heavy, which shouldn't be the case for you typically, um, you do want to have your PDS network a little bit further away from your home system. Um, there are some arguments for like basically drawing a straight line from your home system to Mechatorex and having a wall of PDS, but that stretches you a little bit too thin in all parts of it. Basically, the way you should think about it is you should have your hub and then you should at least put a PDS in three adjacent systems to that, at least. Right. And, yeah, either Mechatol Rex or the system adjacent to Mechatol Rex on your side, that could also be your hub. Mm-hmm. Whatever is right next to Mechatol on your side. You know, that's maybe where you set up the, like, center of your PDS If network. you have it set up correctly with your flagship, you can lock down, like, I mean, a whole, like, four or five pieces. Yes, absolutely, yeah. If your flagship was on Mechatol... And then you surrounded Mechatol with four PDS. That's ridiculous. No one's yeah. touching it. Yeah. No one's touching and it. And then ever. also having their racial tech, the yeah. one that makes like lets you can't. Someone tries to do it, you stop them, then they try again. You've already built up your defenses because you know they're coming. Like you yeah, you're an unstoppable force. Right. What uh so what counters the X trial, we think? This is now we're really theory crafty. We've we've yes. gone through our like early round stuff. Now we're really just kind of spitballing here about the. Race. And I would like to throw this out before we get too much errata on this next point we're about to make. We Which haven't. We are. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get a lot of errata for this one because we haven't played with every race. This is this is our earliest one. We thought it was the easiest one to do a starting round strategy on. But when we start to talk about these things that are gonna impact the whole game, this becomes harder to to right. pin down. Right. But. Things to be worried about for X-Cha are going to be races that can move around so much that they find interesting ways to bypass your PDS network. Depending on the layout of the board, Ghost of Krius could just like pop up all around you and, and you have to like specifically position things against them. That could be a big problem for yeah, you. Yeah, races that specifically kind of find... Um, like Isarl is a good example yeah. of a race that like really benefits from being able to make a move where they end up somewhere you don't yeah. expect them to be. Right. Your PDS network, there's no way it's going to be perfect. Right. There's no way it's going to... There's going to be gaps be in the super, armor. Oh, yeah. And, there and are, you should let there be. Yes. Because if you don't, then, like, you're not going to have that one area that's just really locked down. Yeah. The idea of spreading your PDS out evenly where, yeah, so you need you need as many hits on, on a, a couple of hexes as possible. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think those movement uh, like movement races could be a bit of a problem. I think uh, the barony could be a counter to this because they can soak hits with duranium armor. Yeah, and also with uh, L one Z one X are gonna soak some hits too. Yeah, I think they have some incentive to go for duranium armor. Any any race that is gonna go heavy into red tech is gonna end up with duranium armor, and that's gonna help. I don't think duranium armor is a hard counter no. to any of this, but it's just certainly something that's going to help them. Well, it's a it's barony with geranium and then their um, their racial right. No, no, no. That's really definitely way better. better. Yeah. Um, Things I will... that don't counter this though, I feel like any any race that is heavily reliant on fighter screens, they're doomed. Yeah. Soul players and Nalu players are they cannot touch you. I'd maybe even lump Mentech in there as well because like because of the reliant. I, although neither of us have played mentech at this point here's so what i learned about mentech today the fact that they start with a yellow and a red means they can get 
Deep Space Cannon round one as well. So to a certain extent, Mentac Coalition can also play as a PDS race if they want to. Pretty interesting. Pretty easily it's they can be do really, that. Well, one of us needs to play that. And so, so what's to. what's going to be interesting about Mentac is, yeah, they're going to have these weird little skirmishes with cruisers, but their pie slice is also going to be fairly well defended. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm not comfortable saying really anything about the relationship between Mentac and x child that, right, That's, that's going to be an interesting yeah. one to see how it plays out. Uh, I think any race that is going to go big into blue anyone who can get light wave deflectors pretty easily mm-hmm. or is incentivized to get white wave deflectors pretty easily that could be dangerous for you because that's yeah. another situation where they're going to find spots to jump over where you've put the focus of your pds network mm-hmm. um jolnar honestly is scary for that reason if just if jolnar decided to round one go for light wave deflectors your early game advantage of having these you know getting your your uh flagship out they might be able to just totally bypass your flagship right. and do some pretty disastrous things to you mm-hmm. if, you know, things are going right for them. That That's a little bit reliant on some other factors, but it's certainly a possibility that mm-hmm. they have. Right. That's why light wave deflector is scary because things like cruisers that are going to, yeah, maybe move on a three or a four with the right cards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to jump right over your stuff mm-hmm. without even caring. Another uh, two two more races I want to bring up as possibly having some trouble with the extra um sar and arborak i'm actually kind of feeling as like having a little bit of trouble there i'm not really sure and with sar you know you're gonna see them uh possibly limp through the game if things have gotten weird for them and they're not gonna be able to head towards the yeah yeah what you've done what you do with extra is the sar player who looks at the board and goes where can i just start to go like where can i and you are off limits. Yeah. So I don't know that it's like specifically a counter to SAR, but SAR has no incentive to even try. Right. Is kind of how it works. They might be able to pull some things that, that stop your effectiveness, but why even bother when there's all these other places they can go? Why mm-hmm. even care about what the X-Child's got going on? Mm-hmm. That's how I would think about SAR. So why do you think the Arborek um, has some trouble with X-Child? Uh, just so the, the Arborek is like a swarm that moves through pie slices, right? So they don't have especially good mobility advantages, mm-hmm. or at least they don't start with it. Right. Again, we're, we're trying to keep all this thinking early and mid-game, because late-game everything changes. Yeah. If, as, if you know, you can, cha- you can change so much about a race by the time you get to round six, right. you know? Um, but early game wise it doesn't feel like arborek has the mobility required and like sar they sort of rely on this forward momentum that they're going with that i just feel like in a very we haven't seen this matchup yet but i feel like the extra would just be another pie slice where it's like arborek like you can't yeah you you can't move and build through my stuff Um, yeah i would almost say it's this, the same goes for Extra against Arborek. I think the two of them clash against each other. Yeah. I don't see easy ways for Extra to dig into Arborek's pie slice either. Mm-hmm. Extra do not have any abilities that help them take planets from other players. So the fact that Arborek are going to probably have a lot of ground forces planted down and stuff like that, that's, that's going to be hard for Extra to deal with. But I think in general, if the two of you become neighbors, if anything, that's a symbiotic relationship that the two of you can, you can just like establish your border and kind of be like, hey, neither of us have an incentive to dig into each other because it's just going to cost both of us too much. Right. So let's both push away. Mm-hmm. I think Arborek is a great neighbor to have, honestly. Yeah. So, Hunter, we kind of understand how they should start. We know what they start with. We know what you need to focus on early. We know who to look out for. 
but what what am I trying to do to win as the ex-cha? What is where do I get my victory? I think you get it really by I don't see extra as a race that's going to be able to get like pull those crazy like early five point rounds. I don't see that. But I also feel like you should prioritize not giving anyone points for free, basically mm-hmm. not giving up any points. Um, and at the same time, I see kind of two basic ideas. Uh, you can push further out expanding your pie slice or getting like the most fair in big air quotes pie slice for yourself or you can park it on mechatol yeah yeah i think the idea is like hunter said you don't let anyone dip into your stuff so no one's getting free points off of you and then you're holding on until the stage two objectives come out and you're hitting really hard when those come out. Right. You establish such a good network that when the stage two objectives come out, whatever they are, you're going to be able to claim with ease. You mm-hmm. should be set up in a way where it's like, at any point, I have all the tech I need to get the crazy stage two tech objectives. Or to get all the planets I need, I will not be that far. You know, oh, I'm going to need however many cultural planets. I can I can mm-hmm. pull that off. You know, mm-hmm. all, whatever all these different things are. Like, you are set up in such a way where you're a big powerhouse that's going to swing heavy on victory points late. Right. Game. But right. you're not necessarily getting all the quick, easy, not easy. You're, you're not getting all the quick, dangerous stage one public objectives. Right, because you don't have, I feel like the races that get, that get that are the, the, I don't know, the races that just have a lot more movement going yeah. on. Yeah. That are faster, that have a lot of more like random abilities. Right. Or I guess not really random, but I I guess when compared to something like Isarl, Extra has a, have a very concrete right. capability. So your border and the way you establish your border, the way you establish your slice, and the way you let the other players fill in up against that border is kind of your whole early and mid game, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And that's something more so than most races that you should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, the shape of your border. Right. When we did uh, our sixth episode, the theoretical tier list, we tried to come up with a tagline for every single race. And I would like to come up with a new tagline. The old one was win through turtling, which I think um, is fine. was a fine tagline, but I, I think it kind of missed a critical point. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to come up with a new one for you. I got one right now to throw out, and I want to see what you think about it. Extra Kingdom. Win by being aggressively defensive. Right. Yeah, that's a vague way to say it. I wonder how that um, works in newer players' brains. I think the way you could translate that is... Win with offensive defense. <laughs> I, <laughs> sure, both, both of those points say the same thing. I guess the, the way to consider what that means for you is win by investing in the late game. Mm-hmm. Um, you win by I, I think we don't even have to for, for these things I don't think it needs to even be one sentence mm-hmm. but like the idea we're trying to capture is you win because no one can win by taking advantage of you right? and you win because you set up such a good base for yourself that to get the really high value points it's easy it's a breeze for you Mm -hmm. you don't score early objectives because late objectives should be a cakewalk for you right but that's only going to work if you properly prepared in the early because the thing is you don't let the players that try to take the early objectives you can't let them get away with that kind of stuff so that's where your diplomacy is a big big factor you need people to be on your side so that you can slow down the guys that are 
taking really, really fast objectives and get to, you know, six points by the, you know, middle of the third round or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, you need those guys to be targets early. Right. So that you can swing in the late game. Because the thing is, I we're we're talking about the extra in this way, like and I, I think we've illustrated some pretty I don't know, just kind of unimpeachable strategies with the extra. Mm-hmm. But late game like there is a cap to this whole pds thing yeah there is a point where you got six pds's yeah you have yeah you've got oh you've got six and then you've got your flagship and that's a lot of hits but like someone if they spend their money correctly if they manage their fleet pool correctly they could deal with that yeah they're gonna find especially in the late game when people start to like really work on these huge scary fleets they're gonna yeah they're gonna have ways to kind of muscle through that mm-hmm. so you need to have other stuff behind that that right. helps you exactly so think of yourself as someone who is scary defensively early to mid game and wield that power mm-hmm. but you need to be working on something else yeah you got to get super aggressive late game because the biggest thing is like we're saying your strategy in my mind relies on taking those stage two objectives which means you need to ensure that you cannot be stopped because your whole strategy relies on the fact that well i haven't been getting objectives most of the game you know, you might be at four victory points at like the end of round four or whatever. Like you, you might not have that much, but you should then immediately start scoring big, big, big points. And, you know, you need a big fleet to be able to do that with. You need to surprise everyone with late game aggression. Right. And ho- hopefully it's backed up by your PDS and your, hopefully you're, when you do finally PDS push helps get out. you there. That's right. the idea. The right. PDS network gets you to the point where now you have a scary fleet. Mm-hmm. You don't have a scary fleet for most of the game. But when you get it, now you get crazy active with it. That's mm-hmm. when you get offensive. That's why I'm afraid to say they win by being defensive. Because you get to your win condition by being defensive. Right. But you win by some crazy aggression late game. Right. That's the ex Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> I feel good about that. You know, yeah, me too. Me too. We're, we're going to, you know, we know that this is the first look at a race. This is only after three games of even playing so, like, you know, there's there's a lot that's going to be said more about these, but we really felt like Extra Kingdom was a pretty straightforward race, so I, I feel pretty happy um, sticking with that. We'll certainly have some stuff to errata. We'll, we'll be talking about all these factions forever, um, but I think that's a good first look at what your goals should be in mind yeah. for the Extra Kingdom. I think so, too. Yeah, Hunter, yeah. you want to walk over to the errata with yeah, me? Yeah, let's get into the errata. All right, welcome to the dang old uh, we wing space cats. We it. dang, oh, we done, we done did. Creepers, come on. We wing wong diggity did. No, this one's not a wing dong did. Uh, th- actually, the learn to play, learn to teach is a weird episode to do some errata on. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, um, we got some more advice from other people about things that we can add to it. It sucks because we didn't do it perfect. And so if you're ever looking to um, further someone's knowledge, you can kick them to this part of this episode um, if they need a couple extra pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kick it off. Um, yeah, so uh, this first one's not really an errata or anything. It's just a really good uh, little piece of advice uh, from Arno. Um, he mentions that uh, his group has a really easy way to track whose turn it is. In the Learn to Learn, Learn to Teach episode, we mentioned that it can be very difficult for new players to keep track of, hey, well, so when's my turn? When Mm -hmm. has someone passed? And also this kind of slows down the game. What he does is he takes um, six 
poker chips and a felt pen. And on each chip, uh, he writes pass on one side. And then on the other side, he writes one through six, the numbers, those numbers. Uh, And then you just kind of give it to everyone along with their strategy cards to just make it very simple as to who is going next. And obviously, when they pass, they turn it over to um, the pass thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen other it's versions. Perfect. I've seen other versions of this too. Some people make a little dial um, with a you know just your typical kind of um, rotating dial, and they put um, on it. They give space for each race to put one of their race tokens, mm-hmm. and so then you just have to turn the dial to each player. So you don't even have to have a numbered order. You just play it on each thing, and when someone passes, you pull their token off the dial thing altogether, so then you just continue to skip it that way. I like that solution as well because it's very, very visual to everybody. Like, that that not only does that say who it it, turn it is, but it also kind of gives you, like, a... Who's left in the round. Well, who's left, and also, like, who's slowing this game down? Oh, well, the (laughs) dial's pointing (laughs) at so-and-so, so so it's them. Right. Um, So another idea to kind of go along with this pacing issue is something that... Uh, Blarknob told us on our Facebook, actually, uh, which is just, this is kind of another job of the uh, teacher. Um, and I think we kind of brought this up, but it's it's definitely worth reinforcing that more than anything, um, as the teacher, if you're just trying to keep people interested, you think people are learning well enough, but you just don't want things to get stagnant, you need to keep the pace of the game alive. And mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a big part of being the umpire, is your number one job is just like, Okay, your turn's over. We're moving right on to this guy, and and just always be making sure everyone knows, you know, what actions are coming up. Uh, it's just it's just such an important job that a lot of experienced players talk about. Even in incredibly experienced groups, not everyone is thinking about whose turn is going to be mm-hmm. next. So you you always need the umpire. This is not a new player thing only. Like oh, this, for sure. this for is sure. an in all games. Have one person as your designated pace setter. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, somebody is going to need to take their time on yes. a turn. Yeah. And when that happens, somebody else not involved is going to space out and yeah. then be like, wait, what's happening? Right. And that's perfectly reasonable because we have regular brains made right. of meat. <laughs> yeah. And within that timing of, of these sorts of situations, Blizzard Main on the Twilight Imperium subreddit uh, gave us another teaching theory thing that is that is a really really wonderful idea that um, I didn't know about. He said as a as a teacher, you know, we we had a lot of points about teaching, but something we we didn't learn or know about was this idea of wait time. Um, after explaining a concept or asking for questions, wait for like ten to fifteen seconds to really let it sink in and for them to think about it you'll find that it takes all of that time for them to actually think of a question that they wouldn't have otherwise asked if you just carried on talking. So when you're explaining these concepts, when you when you dip into something like, oh, we just revealed a new objective, and it kind of relies on a concept that we all need to be aware of, explain the concept, and then before you jump into the round or whatever, let it simmer because everyone has to process that information. And especially in the first few rounds of some people's first games, there are many, many, many things to process all at once. And if you just keep jumping from point to point to point, you're going to lose them. This is the main reason I don't tend to advocate only using a video as your learn-to-play guide. Because those videos, especially when it's, we're going to teach you Toilet Imperium in half an hour, 
they're going to move too fast. It's too much information to take into quickly. Sure, the person watching it can pause the video, but like pause the video to do what? Back up? I don't know. You need to Mm -hmm. be, that's why you need to be going along with the book because you need to take the time to process each piece of information. And if someone is just like, food supply is this and production capacity is this and production values are this and then this and you you just completely lose track of it uh, by the second thing. Right. There's no way that you can keep track of it. This was probably my favorite submission that we got this week. And I think it's because it's a really good lesson to learn and as a teacher it's it's kind of hard to yeah. do yeah. because you just want to play twilight and right. you know <laughs> like you really want to but like you have to remember that people have to like our brains are sponges meat sponges did i mention this meat sponges (laughs) mere meat and they have to soak in they have to swim in the soup of the twilight imperium information and then that's how it stains the meat and then the meat is stained and flavored you gotta marinate your brain uh all right so another that this this last point is kind of a conglomeration of multiple points people made. Uh, Jesper Person and Chromium 88 were a big part of this conversation on our Board Game Geek Guild. And the idea is, this is something I feel like we robbed you of this very, very important point that should have been kind of the ending point of the entire um, episode mm-hmm. for the Learn to Learn. Um, and the idea is, we talked a lot about, like, let the lore guide you in a lot of your early game decisions. But the truth of the matter is a lot of players don't get that invested in the lore and it's not a very important thing to them. And they really, really do want to pick something that to them, they want to pick a race whose abilities are the type of player they are. And they have a really good grasp on what kind of player they are strategically, but just reading the abilities without knowing all of the mechanics doesn't tend to do very much for them. So this is a really difficult problem to solve, which is why we still have to kind of harp on the, the lore thing. But the, the other idea to, to drive home is that objectives are still your guide. We talked about focus on all these other things first, but I don't think we drove home the point enough of once you get everything mechanically down, mm-hmm. objectives are the only thing that matter. like every game all you should care about is how are you going to get objectives all the other things are in service of that so all we're merely suggesting is for the first game those first two rounds focus on other things so that you learn everything so that by round three now all you have to do is focus on objectives right yeah i'm disappointed that that does feel like the one thing we really kind of left out and kind of goofed on i would say this is the real solid errata from this episode um and like I don't know. Uh, I think the reason it happened is because we've harped on that way of thinking so many times before in the podcast. It's something we have talked about. That we kind of dropped the ball in that specific episode just because we've gotten so used to kind of reiterating that point. Right. uh, Which I think just got a really... Which uh, on Twitter, at Game Templar, mentioned uh, this very idea, and he referred to it as the golden rule of Twilight Imperium. Uh, let's go ahead and steal that for yeah. our podcast. Right. <laughs> um, everything you should do should be helping you score victory points. Prolonged war or trying to collect all of the cool technology upgrades is an easy trap to fall into. Just get enough to score victory points and move on to the next one. Yeah. You you should be limiting yourself to do exactly what you need to do to get the victory point and no more than that. Right. If the victory point says spend 8 influence, you don't need to stockpile 16 influence. This is an obvious statement, but right. like this idea goes into a lot of other things. If the if it says 
get five dreadnoughts on the board that's a big investment and you don't necessarily need to dig in that much further past that get the five dreadnoughts move on to the next objective mm-hmm. um you you don't need efficient to, play yes yeah. you gotta stay efficient i think this is a point that goes complementary to all this it takes right. it even further it's to say not only should you be focusing on vps you should efficiently get your VP. Yeah. If you don't get a VP as efficiently as possible, you might waste resources, right. which causes you to fall behind in other ways. Yeah. To, you need to, to always be looking ahead. Right. You know, once you get outside of the victory points you're getting, what you're doing with the leftover resources at your disposal becomes a very, very important conversation. Mm-hmm. So, all that is to say, um, there's so much to learn. Twilight Imperium, and we're sorry, one episode, just it would it's just impossible for it to cover everything, but hopefully that learn to learn and that learn to teach got you close enough. We still don't know if we're going to do a learn to play ourselves yet. If we do, more than anything, it's probably going to be a series of learn to plays where each mm-hmm. episode digs into one specific topic um, because I just firmly believe that half an hour is not enough time to learn Twilight right. Imperium. And if, and if someone wants to get to the table... If they think that they only have a half hour to dedicate to learning it, they're not maybe mentally ready to play Twilight Imperium because it's going to it's going to make it a bad experience for them. Right. But if you invest three hours ahead of time into learning Twilight Imperium, you're going to have a fun time playing the game. I, I think I would enjoy eventually. I I would prefer to do it, it when we've had a long time with the yeah, game. Exactly. To present like a comprehensive like here here's is really our, what's important. Yeah, and yeah, really well thought out and everything. Yeah. So we will leave you there. Um, th- this is this has been another long one. We we just cannot make these episodes thirty to forty five minutes. I don't know yeah. why in my brain that's how long I want them to be, but. Doggone it, they're going to be an hour and 20 minutes, all right? Yeah. Uh, So we will head out, uh, but you can obviously join in on the conversation with us. We've got lots of places that we want you to do that. Our Twitter is at SpaceCatsPod. Our Facebook is SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles. You can also contribute to the conversation on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. That's r slash Twilight Imperium. We post an uh, episode post there each week where the discussion can kind of be isolated to the discussions of our podcast we also on board game geek we have a guild space cats peace turtles and you can join that guild so you can talk about specific episodes obviously we're always a part of conversations happening on the twilight imperium general forums but if you want to talk about specific episodes join our guild we have a podcast listing on board game geek and you can see upcoming schedules for episodes there i'm I'm starting to get that filled out more and more each week with kind of what we anticipate the future schedule to be so if you want to kind of get ahead of the game and start thinking about your own discussion you want to bring to the table and get it in before you know we'll obviously take emails at our email space cats peace turtles at gmail.com uh, if you see a topic coming up that you kind of want to contribute to or have your influence be felt through email us and, and be a part of that conversation and finally rate us on itunes please or on please. stitcher or on facebook those ratings help a big way it helps uh, create visibility for us on each of those different platforms the higher the rating something has the more likely it is to get suggested to somebody else and the more likely people are to discover this podcast as well as to discover the great game of twilight imperium the higher the rating the more Steve Martin will take us seriously. Yeah. He only appreciates people with five-star ratings with at least 50 ratings. So mm-hmm. I don't know why that's like his limit, but he, you know, he's told us time and again, guys, I'm not even going to talk to you until you have 50 ratings with he's a five-star average. On it. And I, I don't want to get you guys too excited, but he is right on the verge. I mean, like he was at, he was 
at Matt's door yesterday to play, and then he left because I think he said he needed to go get a donut. Um, right now, I think he said he said I have to go get a donut right now, and then he left. Hunter, where you're going, I cannot follow. <laughs> I don't. Well, I certainly followed Steve Martin to the to donut the donut shop. shop. Sure. Yeah. Well, where? <laughs> what did you get? Was it Voodoo or was it Blue Star? He gets Blue Star. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's Ooh, for all no, you. Now we're going. Just, all right, <laughs> we're gonna go. Um, so tweet at Steve. Tweet, tweet at Steve. Steve Martin and uh, send him the learn to learn. He still hasn't even touched the ding dang thing. So we really need to get him. Get he him. He definitely going doesn't here. know how to play, guys. Yeah. It's pathetic. It, yeah, it's yeah. embarrassing. But he'll get there, and yeah. he he's so excited. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye, Steve. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica Bellum Gloriosum.